Hello, and welcome to Sacred Herbalism, the full moon segment of the Elder Tree podcast, where we explore how plants and fungi can support us to enter into a sacred relationship with life and the living world. I'm your host, Stephanie Hazel, herbalist, anthropologist, and a deep lover of this wild world. Let's walk into the moonlit forest together, into a world of magic, mysticism, psychedelic teachers, and, of course, the plants themselves. Are you ready? This month, I interview Liz Conlon, a multifaceted herbalist who is based in Sydney and has been working for 32 years in this industry. She's treated three to four generations in some families, which gives her a breadth of experience that I find both humbling and inspiring. Liz is a versatile and experienced teacher of herbal medicine and has been teaching at some of the major colleges of natural medicine for over two decades, teaching thousands of students. As well as teaching herbal medicine and iridology, she also teaches the subjects on evidence-based medicine and research. Far on the other end of the herbal medicine spectrum, Liz is also an accredited plant spirit medicine practitioner and associate teacher. Is passionate about the sacred relationship with plants and practices shamanic techniques such as drum journeys, sacred song and ceremonial work. I love this combination of divergent and seemingly opposing approaches to herbal medicine. Our culture has a tendency to create dichotomies, including a dichotomy between the sacred, intuitive and imaginal approach to life and the rational, intellectual approach to life. But I think this is unnecessary. Here I am, running a podcast segment exploring sacred herbalism, but I know that a methodical and scientific approach to understanding the world brings us so much. I believe that it's when we can integrate multiple ways of knowing plants and medicine, imaginal intuitive knowledge, rational intellectual knowledge, and embodied experiential knowledge, that we can truly develop wisdom about plants the depth of understanding and perception that gives us a transformative experience of the plant world. Liz spans these different worlds well, and I really enjoy how these two approaches show up in our conversation today. Some of the highlights of our chat for me focus on her emphasising that anyone can have a sacred experience of the plant world. You don't need to be specially trained or especially intuitive to experience communication or even communion with plants. You just need to show up, Liz recommends in solitude. Listen and see what emerges. You need to be willing to feel a little silly at first, but regardless of what you notice, we know that being immersed in nature is good for you. Liz points to research that shows us that nature bathing, as it's now called, reduces stress hormones like cortisol and increases oxytocin, the bonding or bliss hormone, giving a great example of evidence-based and intuitive understanding of plants. Liz and I also explore gratitude as a way to enter this sacred relationship. The truth is that we simply would not survive on this earth without plants. We depend on them for everything from oxygen to food to clothing. Without the plants, we would never even have evolved, as we needed our plant ancestors to breathe oxygen into the atmosphere for countless thousands of years before the animals that depend on that oxygen, such as us, could even begin the slow process of evolution. When we allow this to evoke reverence for the plants within us, sacred relationship is very close by. 
morning, Liz. Welcome to the Elder Tree podcast. Good morning, Stephanie. Lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. I'm quite honoured, actually. We just were talking about this being your 23rd year of teaching herbal medicine in colleges, and I feel um, very lucky to be having an interview with such a beautiful elder in the herbal medicine space. Oh, thank you, Steph. <laughs> so um, we're talking today about sacred herbalism, and I was hoping you would be able to share a story for us, for our listeners today, about... Um, a moment in time where you started to perceive the plant world as sacred and alive? Hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I've given that some thought uh, in preparation for today. And I think when we are talking about sacred herbalism and the life and the essence and the spirit of the plant world, uh, it's for me, uh, I always like to begin with respect and honouring before making comments about those sorts of things. So I just want to offer an acknowledgement of the country that I live on and work on here in Western Sydney, Australia. Um, this land here has been traditional Darug country for thousands of years and home to the oldest living culture in the world. So I respectfully acknowledge the Darug people as the traditional custodians of the land that I'm presenting to you from today and honour their continued connection to land and to water and to culture and to everything on the land, plants included. So I pay my respects to the past, present and emerging elders who continue to care for the land and water and who hold the memories and traditions and all of the ceremonies and living culture of Aboriginal Australia and I extend those respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander listeners who've tuned in to listen to our chat today on the podcast. Mm. And with that, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also acknowledge and honour my own ancestors. Uh, I was born in Dublin, Ireland, and I spent my childhood there before emigrating to Australia. So Although I am a naturalised Australian and I love this country very much, I'm also a Celt by birth and ancestry and I'm very grateful for the respectful connection and rich spiritual communion, actually, that Celtic people have always had with nature and with plants and with the elementals. So I was up in Katoomba and um, it was a rainy day. So, you know, when you're in the bush and it's raining, in those in-between times when the rain subsides and there's no noise, mm. there's a sense of silence that goes beyond the normal silence you would experience in the bush. So, so the water, the falling of the rain, brings some kind of a, 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 a comfort and a blanket to everything that's around. And, of course, the plants are just taking in this fluid, you know. It, it's known that certain trees can, their trunks can expand up to a centimetre with rainfall as they take up 
this wonderful hydration. So, you know, all that's going on just silently with this beautiful hushed blanket. And <clears throat> I was walking with an umbrella and um, the pause came in the rain and everything just hushed. Even the birds were not chirping or singing, just this hush. So I put my umbrella down and I just kind of stood there and felt this sense of being held. And I thought to myself, I know I'm looking around <clears throat> and seeing these beautiful plant beings, but I also have the sense that they are looking around at me. And as soon as that landed, I started to approach several of the plants. And the first one I approached was a beautiful Waratah bloom that was low enough for me to be able to, to go over and, and sort of touch it. And I cupped my hand around the Waratah bloom and just closed my eyes and, and felt the plant and in a sense knew that the, the plant was also feeling me. And in that connection, I just had this sense that I was holding a newborn baby's head. I was holding the plant. And I also received in that instant, in that eyes closed instant, a little bit of a flash of an image that the plant was holding my own newborn head. It was this just beautiful exchange. And I, I stepped forward and, and then found this most beautiful fern with some of its spirals still in the Fibonacci, you know, shape. And I just held a frond, just held it, didn't pick it, just held it on my hand. Everything's damp and wet. And again, closed my eyes in this beautiful um, interactive reciprocal meditation. And I had the sense that I was holding an infant's hand on the palm of my hand. And then that exchange where I felt that the plant was holding my hand as a, a very young person, a little girl or an infant. And I walked a little further and uh, walked past a eucalyptus tree with sort of very low hanging leaves. And uh, I was a little bit damp because there was mist, though it wasn't raining, there was mist, my hair was was sort of quite uh, quite damp and the leaves were close enough that I then just touched the leaves, held them in my hand and, you know, I just held the leaves, closed my eyes, same exchange and it was, you know, holding the rain-soaked leaves but feeling that beautiful eucalyptus tree uh, stroking my rain-stroked hair. And I stepped further on and came sort of face to face with this gorgeous, gorgeous old she-oak tree. And I felt to put my hand on or touch the bark of the she-oak. And of course, it's very craggly, very wrinkled bark. And as I put my hand on the bark, uh, I saw my own hand, you know, a, certainly not a young girl's hand. Uh, the ageing process goes on. And I again, I had that interactive sense of, as I ran my hand and traced 
the wrinkles of the tree, you know, that sense of the tree tracing the wrinkles of my own hand. It was this just beautiful connection. Then I came uh, in my next few steps along, I came to a banksia tree with the dark, dark, spiky cones. And, you know, I touched the spikes very gently. You know, and we can all be a bit spiky sometimes, can't we? <laughs> Things we do for protection or boundaries. I touched the, the, the spikes of the banksia cone. And, you know, I just had that sense of a tenderness here, a, a be careful, you know, this is tender. And I had the sense I was touching the tenderness of the banksia cone and felt the, the banksia also very tenderly touching those places within me that, that could be a little tender and a little painful. From there, I stepped another few steps and came across a beautiful blood bark eucalyptus and some of the bark had peeled off. And you can probably imagine with the rain, it just looked like the tree was bleeding, you know, oozing blood. And uh, I came up and, and had a closer look. And, of course, it was bark. The tree wasn't truly bleeding. But, again, I, I sort of touched that and, and just caressed it tenderly and had that sense of soothing the, the, the tree's uh, weeping, you know, the, mm. the weeping of the tree, the pain of the tree. And, you know, nature, it experiences so much pain with the destruction that happens in the world to nature. And with that, uh, I had that sense of this beautiful blood bark eucalyptus also soothing my own areas of wounding or oozing or weeping. And, uh, yeah, at that point I just, as a reciprocal gesture, and, and I will talk about reciprocity a little later in our conversation but as a reciprocal gesture I'm someone who likes to sing that's that's mm. part of who I am so I just sang a lullaby just a, a, a just a beautiful lullaby that <clears throat> I've sung to my children over the years I, I sang the lullaby to everything that I had touched and that had touched me and it just felt like this beautiful vibrational interactive um, experience. So, uh, yeah, that's a, one of the more sacred experiences. There have been many, but uh, that was the one as I was pondering your questions in advance. Mm. Uh, I thought that might be helpful to share. And just to say... Beautiful. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, just to say... Uh, you know, there's nothing super different or super special about me as a person that I should have an experience like that. What I want to say is anybody can interact with nature and with plants that way. And that is part of my work with sacred herbalism and with, you know, plant spirit work is to help people to develop those types of connections with the natural world and with mm. plants in particular where there is this 
extraordinary, most extraordinary interaction. And what happens, we all know about, well, maybe we don't. Many of us would know about um, the benefits, for example, of nature bathing. Mm. Getting out in nature, spending some time. There are proven benefits, you know, the reduction of stress hormones, lowering of blood pressure, etc., etc. But the reality is that, yes, spiritually beautiful things are happening, but we are integrated beings like the plants are. What happens when we're out in nature and, you know, making, um, doing our best to connect in in a sensitive way, cortisol drops. That stress hormone drops. Our autonomic nervous system settles and regulates. But what will happen is that there is a release of the bonding hormone, oxytocin. And when that happens, there is a love affair (laughs) that takes place between you and the plant that you're interacting with. And I just want to say that anybody can do this. And part of my work is to show people how to settle in, how to tune in, how to connect in a way that's very individual to you and the particular plant being that you're connecting in with. So, you know, I teach members of the public. I teach... uh, practitioners you know I taught in many places this concept of plant consciousness and uh, plant communication and it's something that I I really enjoy doing it brings me great joy to help people to have these types of experiences so nothing special about me this is something that everyone can do however the experiences themselves are very sacred a very, it very sounds sacred. like you're talking about um, a very intimate experience of interacting with nature. I definitely think yes. of oxytocin as that kind of yes. intimacy hormone. So That's yeah, it, I'm, cu- exactly. I'm curious, um, before you had this experience of walking through the forest that time, you've just told us about, it sounds like you were really open in that moment to having this kind of intimate communication. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you did in the lead up to that day to prepare yourself to be in this open state or if that just happened spontaneously? Yeah. Um, Yes. If I know that I'm going to spend time in nature and often it's, uh, I do it in solitude. Not always. Sometimes I go with family or friends. I do set the intention. You know, we hear that a lot. I set the intention. Um, I, I kind of call it, it's like a call out. I, I determine where I'm going. I knew that I was heading up to that part. Uh, I love it up around Katoomba. There are other places that are, you know, my love areas as well. But I visualize it ahead of time and I just send a message. I just say to the place whether I can do that verbally or, you know, in a thought process that I'm coming. And if there's anybody, anybody, any plant spirit uh, that would like 
to meet with me, I would love to have that experience. So, mm. so it's an intention, you know, to set that intention. I, I just, you know, we're talking sacred herbalism. I had to think about that, the word sacred. Uh, and it means different things to different people, depending on, you know, what kind of context you're using it in. But, you know, I'm thinking about a couple of ways of looking at it. We're talking about sacred herbalism. So thinking of sacred in terms of something that deserves great respect and reverence. And, and it's why I wanted to acknowledge and pay respects to ancestors of this land and my own ancestors because it's a practice of reverence and acknowledgement and also a practice of reverence around the fact that uh, we would not survive on this planet without plants. Mm -hmm. The very air we breathe, we're dependent on plants for that. Um, anything we eat, whether or not you're vegan, vegetarian, omnivore, anything that we eat, Originally, a plant provided the food. Yeah. So what we eat, uh, the way we breathe, the fact that we can breathe, we are dependent on the plant world for our physical life. And it's really important that we hold a reverence around that, you know. So, so other thoughts with with the word sacred, something divine um, or something mysterious. And this is, this is the beautiful part with interacting with reverence in a sacred herbalism way. The plants hold truths. They hold knowledge that we might not yet have or understand. So, you know, something that's a mystery it can sometimes be considered or thought of as maybe a little bit of a secret or something that's not yet known or not yet seen. So if we kind of just bound through the bush, <laughs> just belt through there, not really seeing, just kind of, you know, we're seeing but not seeing with the heart or not seeing with the, the, the soul or the spirit, we're missing out on the mystery, the the knowledge that the plant has to, to pass on to us. And sacred herbalism, yeah, sacred herbalism means reverent herbalism, reverence mm. for the plants that we are so very fortunate to use as medicine, but for the plants that actually provide our life, our breath, Mm -hmm. uh, the food that we eat, you know. Do you know the anthropologist Natasha Myers? She works a lot on the plant-human relationship. She's a Canadian anthropologist. I, no, I don't, has, I don't know her. No. She introduced me to this beautiful concept that plants are the world makers because they're the only beings on this earth that can take sunlight and air and turn it into matter, that they, they actually 
They create physical matter. They're out of their their own bodies are built from sunlight and air and oxygen, you know. And then that matter is then transformed in many different ways. But all of the matter, our own physical bodies, you know, all of the all of the food we eat comes at some point from plants. And even all the plastics and synthetic fabrics, you know, that's the petroleum that's actually the, you know, fossilized, decomposed bodies of the ancient forests from prehistoric times. There's nothing else on the earth that can actually make material. And that was a really beautiful, um, yeah, she called them, they, they, they are matterers, you know. And they matter. And they matter, yeah. It was they a really, really beautiful matter. concept to realise they actually have, yeah. you know, we do all these, we, we are very yeah. creative and we make lots of things as humans, but we're only ever transforming one material into a new form. We're never actually making material. That is true. And that is gorgeous. Thanks for sharing that. I love that. They do matter, you know. Um, we're sometimes maybe raised with the mindset. It's an understandable mindset, but the mindset that uh, that really looks at the plant world in sort of like a utilitarian way. How can we utilize this plant? You know, how can we use it? Is it for food? Um, what can that plant give me? You know, that kind of uh, approach to the plant world. An extractive mentality of capitalism, really, coming off the back of the Adam and Eve story that God made all the animals and plants, you know, for humans to take advantage of. It's extraordinary, is it? isn't it? Mm. It's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, if we can turn that around and think of plants in a more sacred or reverent way uh, acknowledging that we depend on them for our lives <laughs> uh, it changes the relationship right it really changes the relationship and uh, it's very much about uh, thinking about reciprocity for example you know this plant has provided me with food on my plate today mm. how can I serve that plant now it's a good and question you know what, yeah. what is it what is it that the plants could possibly want from us you know we're so disconnected from that sense of actual relationship yes. that it is hard to think like well what can I actually give the plants in my garden other than water you know yes yeah yeah, it's 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 fascinating. It, when I teach my the herbal medicine subjects that I teach, um, I do say to my students. Some of them have gardens, some of them don't. You know, some people live in cities; they don't really necessarily have great access to, a, you know, green spaces. But I say to the students in my class, if you've got a garden, awesome, go gangbusters, and we talk about our plants at the start of each class and share photos and things like that. But for the folk who are in apartments, for example, who can't really, you know, they don't have a, a, a little patch or anything like that, I say to them, grow something, even if it's just some cul culinary herbs on the windowsill in your kitchen. Grow something so that you're interacting with that green being every single day and practice interacting with reverence and respect because this is a living being 
you know. And, uh, you know, my students post photos up or, or send them to me, you know, send me PMs um, showing me photos and getting very excited about how their kitchen herbal patch is taking off, you know, on the mint growing out over and uh, and and there begins the interaction and, and the true relationship with the plant. It's not simply about what the plant can provide me in terms of <laughs> food, uh, but what can I provide that plant? And this is about reciprocity. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end because I know you've got a question at the end about, mm-hmm. you know, a helpful practice. So I'll get to that. That's actually a great segue into a question I have for you. You know, I know that you are a lecturer in um, Nature Care College, which is one of the, you know, formal herbal medicine accreditation, well, accreditation, one of the formal herbal medicine training colleges. And I'm curious in this era when in the herbal medicine industry and education, we have a real push towards evidence-based being recognized by the medical profession and the scientific establishment as scientists you know we are in many ways scientists Um, how do you find that your own sacred connection to this more nebulous um, and unprovable aspect of herbal medicine how do you find that weaves in with your teaching in a formal college can they coexist i guess is the question there and here's the thing um So I teach the herbal medicine subjects. I teach the vibrational plant medicine subjects, you know, the the batch flowers. Yes, I did say batch. Uh, Germanized way of saying it is Bach flower remedies, but the pronunciation of his name is actually batch or batch in his part of the world. So, you know, I've been teaching the, the batch flower remedies for many, many years, teaching those. But at the college, I also teach the research subjects, the evidence-based practice subjects, uh, the various, you know, research models and the hierarchy for that. Uh, And I believe, based on my own experience, that the two can coexist uh, as long as minds are kept open and respect is kept in the frame. Mm. So this is where I'll... I'll mention the work of an extraordinary researcher. Her name is Monica Gagliano. And my understanding is that she's doing some of her research through Southern Cross University at the moment. But she wrote a beautiful book, and the book is called Thus Spoke the Plant. And in this book, she explains her own journey with being guided and taught by plant spirits as to how to carry out her research successfully. And it's an extraordinary book. For those listening on, if you've read it, you'll know where I'm coming from. Uh, For those who haven't, I strongly recommend it. Monica Gagliano thus spoke the plant. She's a lady originally from Italy. Uh, She lives in Australia. She's a naturalized Australian now and she's had you know remarkable teachings from um, uh, South American shaman teachers who've taught her how to connect in with the plants and receive guidance and inspiration I've got some storytelling in a little while Stephanie with some of my own experience and the most surprising things can happen 
when you really, really connect in. Now, the other interesting thing is that uh, research in its own way is certainly confirming for us some of the experiences that we have in a sacred or reverent way with the plant world. I believe the two can coexist very, very well. The research also helps to give um, insight how, how to better care for our beautiful green beings. Mm. Um, so, you know, when it's looked at that way, the two can have a wonderful dance, you know. <laughs> yeah, perhaps we, we go back to the, um, the Holy Trinity you were talking about earlier, the body, mind and yeah. spirit or soul or heart, whichever one you want to use. You yeah. know, if we imagine that the uh, medical research and all of that kind of more uh, scientific evidence base is really looking at the body of the plants. What is the body? What what is what is there? You know, and we're using the mind to do that. Whereas, yeah. what you're talking about in what we're talking about in this podcast is very much connecting with the heart or soul of the plant world, and those things um, are separate spheres, but they overlap. Exactly, and so one is quantifiable in you know a very tangible way, especially if you're talking. Uh, the types of research, you know, randomised controlled trials, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whereas when we're talking about the subtlety of intuitive interaction with the plant world, these are the things that are not easily measured. Now, the reality is that though there's a wonderful benefit that we can receive from good mm. research, Certain research designs and models actually are not suitable for measuring certain things, yeah? And that's the case, for example, uh, if you've got something like an observational study, which is not as quantifiable as, a, a, you know, a, a randomised control trial, well, then there is acknowledgement that things are not exact, that we do learn and what we learn from observational studies, which are cohort studies or, you know, um, different group uh, interview-based, what they call qualitative research. Whilst you can't knuckle it down and put a number on it, it's still incredibly helpful in coming up with new questions or um, opening up more avenues for fascinating inquiry mm. so you know it's very much in the evidence-based subject that I teach you know we talk about uh, accessing the the best quality research we can get hold of at that time acknowledging that research does have its limits even the best quality there may be some bias or there may be some you know risk to validity so evidence-based contextual constraints of like finances and what's happening yes. who's who's doing the research exactly. what their own capacities are yes you can't what just research in an open-ended way it doesn't that's it yeah, yeah doesn't lead many places true so so good evidence-based medicine is drawing on the research drawing on the practitioner's clinical experience now that can often be 
empirical, observational, you know, not quantifiable. They haven't run randomised control trials, but they've worked for 30 years with a certain type of client and they know that ABC, this herb, these combinations work. They know it from their clinical experience. Mm. So there is the empirical. And then the third element, which is, you know, the priority is then working with the patient's values or Mm. what direction it is they want to go in. That's the true definition of evidence-based medicine. It is a beautiful fusion of the three. So we do have our empirical side to that in there. And again, there we have a triad, Stephanie. Mm. Yep. So um, you'll find that I have a positive view, but, you know, um, the constant reminder to myself to think through, to look, to assess, to come at uh, things from a different angle. And I personally believe that we need both and ideally if both can work together in a really, really respectful manner, we discover the most amazing things. We can and we will. Thank you, Liz. I want to ask a slightly related question, um, kind of jumping back to your story about your experience in the bush, having these insights and communications with these different plants. So on the weekend, uh, on Sunday, actually, I was at a conference called EGA, Entheogenesis Australis. So it's a psychedelic plant conference, and it's quite heavily science-based. And I was running a workshop on uh, plant connection. Mm. So probably something right down your alley, something you've done a lot more than me. And essentially, I guided people through a, a meditation and then sent them off into the garden to just sit with a plant and introduce themselves, let the plant know they wanted to have a chat or learn something. Was there anything that plant could share with them? Um, and then be open to what emerged and come back and share. Yeah. Had some really beautiful sharings from people having things that are quite similar to what you're talking about, that some insight about their life or a feeling of connection or a feeling of um information around how to exist in the world you know there's one woman there who lives in the bush and she was struggling being in the city and she was sitting with a plant that was intertwined with the plant next to it and she felt that they were really sharing with her that you can be really close to many people and that's okay you can intertwine with them and be at ease with that as an example and someone who comes more from a um, mental side of life asked me you know, how do I know I'm not imagining, just imagining things and projecting my own thoughts onto the plants? And I'm really curious how you would answer that question. It's a really good question. And it's one that I get from people who I'm taking through this process. I would say to the person, oh, beautiful, get your imagination on board, because that opens you up to your own intuition, to your own creativity, so that you can co- create with this amazing world of these plant beings i think that word co-create is really important there as well i think we're you know we have a kind of myth in our current culture that the world is mechanically happening on its own without any interaction from us and even now in especially in physics there's the research emerging showing that the expectations the ideas and the desires of the researcher will change how particles actually behave 
which definitely tells us there's a collaborative co-creation happening in every moment, whether you're, you know, shooting particles in the Hadron Collider, whether you're in the bush talking to plants. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, there is. There's an interaction going on all the time. Um, I know that you have done quite a lot of work with Pam Montgomery, who is a really preeminent plant spirit teacher in the States. Um, would you mind sharing a bit about your experience working with her? Yes, I will. I'll uh, let me do that in a succinct way for you because I know that uh, we've, you know, we want to stick to our time. So first of all, I want to really honour Pam. She's been a key um, teacher and mentor for me um, with, you know, plant spirit work and with, you know, what you'd call shamanic herbalism or sacred herbalism. So I know that um, my lovely friend Heidi Marika has talked about how Pam came to, be, to visit us here in Australia. So I'll refer folk to Heidi's podcast if you want to hear that story. So that shortcuts and I can, you know, cut to the heart of it. Uh, Pam came here in 2017 and her aim was to train Australian practitioners in her style of what's called plant spirit healing. And this is where you develop these kinds of interactive and very dear and close relationships with plant beings um, to receive instruction, to receive support, to receive information about the types of um well, for want of a better word, medicine that those plants carry in their energetic vibrational field. Now, we segue back to the work of people like Dr. Edward Batch, okay, uh, being able to capture that vibrational essence of a plant and have it solarized and imprinted in water and preserved to then be able to take into your body as a medicine to help settle and bring back into positive vibrational resonance um, negative thoughts and emotional states. Okay, That's a small part of what happens with the type of work that Pam does. Now I want to segue back to your previous um, podcast where you know you spoke about uh, in certain shamanic traditions the connection with the plant is such that the practitioner is able to call in the actual energy or the presence of the plant in its vibrational form, in its spiritual form, however you want to call that. That is what we were trained in by Pam. And these plants become your allies and your co-practitioners. Okay, so Stephanie, let's say I'm a homeopath and you are a naturopath. And I have a client who requires uh, herbal medicine from you, but you want to call me in to provide the homeopathy because I might have a bit more experience in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the team comes. And then the decision is also made that the client might benefit from some acupuncture. So there's an, a practitioner who's an acupuncturist who comes in and joins the team. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So it's like that with the way we were trained with Pam in stepping into these, you know, really 
intimate understandings and relationships with these plant allies who are beings in their own right with personalities and gifts and jobs to do, (laughs) practitioner jobs to do. So the kind of um, personal relationship where you would actually receive instruction from the plant? Yes, or actually call the plant in to work with the client. Mm. So there was the first residential was in 2017 where we were taught all the basics. The second residential was in uh, 2018 where we had gone away for a year, practised all the things we were taught and we had to do case studies there was a lot of work involved in it if you wanted to get the certification as the practitioner. Mm. When Pam came back, we had to present our case studies. We learned some more advanced level things. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we had to do a number of one-on-one tutorials with her to receive the certification. It was um, a lot and it was amazing and There are probably about four or five of us who actually went through and completed the whole qualification. What does that mean for me in my work? Yes, I work as a herbal medicine practitioner in my clinical practice. I use herbs for the physical body. I use uh, the batch flower and bush flower essences for emotional mind state. So we're talking body, mind, spirit, right, in Mm. that triad, the holistic triad. I also use the uh, plant spirit medicine to assist people with you know um, life path with alignment etc etc so the plant spirit work you know this doesn't happen across the desk necessarily in this clinic space I have another room where with a massage table and there are certain processes a little like, you know, the concept of Reiki where you're, you're bringing in or channeling universal energy to help the person. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you're calling in these allies who have certain jobs to do to assist the person with their health and well-being. The other thing, the other way that it's really um, enhanced my clinical practice is in the types of plant essences I make myself after going through a long period of time of interaction and getting to know uh, a plant to then make an essence from the flower the leaves the tendril whatever it is that I'm impressed upon and then that's given to the client to take in the manner that you would with say a batch flower essence or a bush flower essence, mm. or something and do, along do those lines. You call in like one specific plant for that client. Like you tune into what which which plant will work best for them as an ally in their life, or do you call yeah. in multiple plants? Yeah, um, it can be one. It can be multiple. Let me give you an example. One of the um, plant essences that I've made after working a long time with a particular hybrid rose. Uh, I made an essence from that plant after going through the learning and after going through experiences of, you know, really travelling with that plant. Mm. And the learning from the plant, this particular hybrid rose, was that I use it for the heartbreak and trauma of those who've been removed from or denied access to their source. So what's what source? 
Well, that relates to any essential aspect of an individual's origins or their true identity or their inherent nature. And it assists, this particular plant essence assists with reconnecting to authentic self, uh, inner voice, ancestry, family, country, culture or spirituality, you know, whatever source is for that person. And I've, as I've used that in my clinical practice for folk who feel that disconnect, the feedback that they that they return with is the confirmation um, of the work of that plant, the confirmation for me that I've listened properly and that I understand what that plant's job mm. is. Now, I can give it as an essence, but if I'm doing the, the energetic processes where the person's in my my other room um that has a massage table etc etc um that that will be conveyed by calling in the actual energetic of the plant Mm -hmm. itself so that's a really short explanation of something that actually should take a lot longer (laughs) to explain but in respect Mm. for our time i hope that makes sense I have one more question about that because it's a very interesting topic. I know that traditionally in Celtic cultures and in the kind of Amazonian shamanic peoples I've had some interaction with, that when we get these kinds of relationships with plants, it's very much a one-by-one process. So you develop personally a strong enough relationship with and knowledge of a particular plant. So if you're talking about this type of rose, um, And each individual practitioner or herbalist or shaman very slowly over their life might accumulate a handful of these plants. And is that the same in this training with Pam Montgomery? Like you only use plants that you have personally really developed that that relationship with? Absolutely. You've got it. That is correct. That is the way that it should be done. Hmm. It it has to be the relationship that the practitioner has developed with that plant to be able to call that in to be able to call on your colleague and say I believe this client here needs the homeopathy or needs the acupuncture can you come and do your work that's probably the best metaphor that Mm. I can use for it look I also had the wonderful opportunity with Pam um you know, after we went through and did all the training and everything, Pam launched a beautiful global course called Co-Creation with Nature. And she got an enormous sign up and realised, oh, my gosh, I, I think I need some help with this. Um, and so she called in um, four of us to assist her. So there's a colleague who took care of uh, the UK and Europe. There was a- another colleague who took care of the Western United States, another who took care of the Eastern United States, and uh, I was the associate teacher for um, the Australian, <coughs> pardon me, New Zealand region. So I've I've had the honour and the pleasure and the privilege of working with Pam in a team as part of her teaching team, where we, you know, supported her program as she rolled it out. But it was very much about teaching people how to find these relationships in nature that one it's an online course you'll access it on pam's site to sign up that's not the practitioner training course this is a course for the general public 
to help people connect Beautiful. with nature that way. So that's another part of uh, how Pam's <laughs> work has informed, you know, my own work. I've actually worked with Pam in rolling out her program. Mm, so hopefully that covers that. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. I might actually ask the last question around a practice for people to connect with the plant world, but I'd like I'm curious around what's a way you would recommend people to begin developing these one-on-one relationships with plant medicines that are strong enough and personal enough that they could call on a plant for healing? Yeah. Well, the first step, the very very first step <laughs> is to have a plant. Now, yes, wonderful if you can grow it. If you're in a place where you can't, uh, look for a plant. Set the intention to find a plant. You know, even people in um, apartments can grow a plant. My son lives in an apartment and he has the most gorgeous um, succulent garden that we've set up on his uh, little, you know, veranda there, his little balcony. Find a plant. Ask for a plant. Ask to find a plant. And then it's a case of visiting with the plant. How, how do we get to know each other? We spend time with each other to get to know each other. So it's about visiting the plant. If it's something in your own back garden, fantastic. You can check in every single day. The idea is to step into stillness, you know, to put away the to-do list, the shopping list, to step into stillness and to sit with that plant being and observe. Look at it. Look at it up close. What colours you know, is it a red rose with beautiful green leaves? Open up an inquiry and, and in that intention, ask the plant for a friendship. There's so many processes, processes that you can do beyond that, which I teach in my workshops. But the first place to start is to approach a plant in reverence with the intention of wanting to get to know the plant. Pay attention. Once you set that intention, if you just sit in meditation, quiet meditation, and ask for a meaningful relationship with the plant, you'd be surprised what might happen. Pay attention. I was walking one day in my local park, lands, and I was walking through so many plants there, and I was thinking, I know, is there anybody here who would like to connect with me? Suddenly a wind gusted and this weeping willow slapped me across the face. (laughs) And I thought, oh, well, hello. (laughs) Okay, you're the one. You know, just keep an eye out for those funny little things that can happen. Um, Mm. Sit with the plant, ask for the plant, pay attention. Once you ask, you'll find it. The other thing I want to really emphasise is... If you grow plants, I mean, I've got my herbal garden. You'll see it on my my Facebook. I'm posting things up all the time about that. Have respect for the plant's life and right to life, especially when harvesting. Mm. For example, before trimming or pruning a plant, I always explain my intentions to the plant and I ask for permission. I'll sometimes tell the plant a week before that I'm going to trim or prune or or can I come and, and, 
and take some parts of you. It's really important to me to be respectful and to honour the plant spirit Mm. because the plant belongs to itself and it has the right to be asked and to give consent. This is where, as humans, we have the audacity to think that, you know, we can just do whatever we want to these plant beings. We rely on them for our life. So sometimes I'll speak to the plant the day before. For example, my Tulsi plant, uh, I'll say, with your permission, dear Tulsi, I'd like to trim you tomorrow so that you can remain healthy and grow many more leaves and branches. And then as I trim the plant, I remain really mindful and aware that I'm touching a living being with a a soul, a spirit. Often I'll offer Reiki energy while I'm pruning because I am a Reiki practitioner to reciprocate. I talk to the plant gently while I'm pruning, just as I would if I was cutting my own child's hair. Mm. And sometimes I sing to the plant. Uh, And when I've finished trimming, I give thanks and I offer a gift in uh, reciprocity. So that could be, you know, a strand of my own hair or a special bead or a thorough Mm. watering or a drink of sea salt. But it's done in the attitude of gratitude, in the attitude of gratitude. Um, They're the two things I would recommend. Ask for a plant and sit with it every day. I really love that concept of just giving the plant a little heads up, you know, so it can come to terms with the fact that if it's going to have a haircut or be pruned and who knows, maybe that plant then directs some of its stores of nutrients away from the place that's going to be pruned into the roots, for example. I can imagine plants doing that kind of thing. There are, there are thoughts around that. Mm. Funny things happen. Sometimes I'll say, you know, I was working with a, one of my passiflora, passion flower plants, I wanted to make a flower essence and I'd say and I'd explain and then, uh, you know, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow would rain or tomorrow would come, sun was out, I'd go and all the flowers would be closed and it was a definite no. Okay. So this went on for two years and it was because I wanted to make, it's a whole other big story, Um, I wanted to make an essence of the flowers, but the plant put me through this process of learning about its tendrils. So you can go, (laughs) some of these stories are on my Facebook Mm -hmm. page, folks. Just go to my story, go to the uh, Facebook page, go to the, you know, the search on my page, put in Passionflower and you'll read (laughs) some of the stories of Passionflower. I had to learn about the tendril before I made the essence. And so the essence had to be flower, tendril, leaf and it's an essence that I use to assist people who are trying to break free from enmeshment Mm. because the tendril is so you know it clings on so tight Uh, they've even studied um, engineering in engineering they've studied the tendril of the passiflora plant and they've used it to um, create certain spring coils because of the strength of the tendril. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah. Thanks, Liz. That's some, yeah, some excellent stories, some really great uh, instruction for people. And we'll be sharing the links to any of your workshops and Pam's workshops in the show notes for anyone who's interested. They can have a look and click through. Just to say... I am in the process of securing uh, a couple of venues, firstly here in New South Wales. I'm doing the background admin on that. And next year I I will be uh, running 
uh, weekend residentials to take people through the deeper process over a three-day period uh, of um, plant communication, of, of taking them through in, in great detail how to do this. Uh, and another thing that's on the, the cards is also setting up an even deeper process than that, which is a plant initiation where you work over a period of three days with one particular plant as a group and you go into deep process. So uh, if you want to know about those things, my website is under construction, but you can go there now. It's lizcomlin.com, Liz with an S. Um, That's L-I-S-C-O-N-L-O-N.com. L-I-S-C-O-N-L-O-N.com. And that link you can find in the show notes as well. Yeah. If you want to be kept in the loop for when those offerings come up, you can put your um, email in to subscribe and you'll be kept up to date on that. So watch this space. There's a lot of stuff that will be coming up in the new year, including a, a book. Yeah. Thanks so much, Liz. Real pleasure to get to know you a bit better and get to hear about um, your own personal experiences and how you managed to hold both this deeply spiritual connection with the plant world and also to have been a lecturer for many, many years at, with Nature Care College, teaching both evidence-based medicine and herbal medicines. So I really have a lot of respect for um, anyone who can carry both those things and integrate them uh, usefully in their own lives. Thank you, Stephanie, and thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. That's us for this moon cycle. I'm so glad you walked into the dark forest with me. This podcast is part of The Elder Tree, a non-profit dedicated to empowering people through grassroots herbal education, weaving a strong community of herbalists, healers and plant folk in Australia. You can head over to theeldertree.org to find out more. If you like this episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month. And in the meantime, may you be blessed with good health and many plants. <laughs>